0: What a perfect song to sing after taking communion, and um, I mean, how can you sing that song um, and not have a smile on your face when you sing? I mean, what a what a glorious uh, truth that uh, we were just singing about, and it was uh, I was encouraged just to look around and see see other smiling faces as we were just worshiping and praising and thanking the Lord for our salvation in Christ. Well, I just wanted to uh, ask you to um, pray for Kel and me uh, over the next uh, week and a half we 're going to uh, have the privilege of traveling to Singapore and uh, ministering at a church called the Fishers of Men Church and uh, teaching at a youth camp, which is kind of high school college young adult, and, and also the entire church in the evenings and on sunday morning and so uh, i 'm going to be doing the bulk of the teaching and i 've got i think eleven opportunities to preach in five days and and the is going to be um, teaching one of the breakout sessions to the girls, and um, she's going to be singing, and, and uh, so we're really excited. This is that uh, camp, if you remember, a couple of years ago, Adam Tyson did, when, when the fish kind of sucked on his toes, remember that? He showed us the picture, and I'm not looking for that, forward to that part. You know, it's, I guess it's a custom there to take the special, the guest speaker, and to the spa treatment where the fish kind of clean your feet, and I'm not sure I'm looking forward to that, but... Um, <laughs> But I guess I'll take it. I've heard some other scarier things that, you know, you have to do, like in Russia and other things they make you do. So I think we'll, we'll be okay with the fish, you know, chewing on our toes. But um, I'm going to have to get used to not chewing gum. I don't know if you knew that, but Singapore, it's against the law to chew gum. So hopefully I won't get caned. You'll hear, you'll hear stories of me in the newspaper, pastor from America gets caned for chewing gum. Um, but seriously, as you land, they, you have to fill out this little form and, and it says, you know, do not have any gum, you'll be arrested kind of thing. You're like, whoa, these guys are serious. Uh, they do say it's freakishly clean there. I mean, it is, I've never been anywhere that's nicer than America, but Singapore. And uh, from a spiritual perspective, it's really a unique situation because it's surrounded, you've, you've got this island that's, surra- you know, a Christian country uh, uh, for the most part, freedom of religion, and a lot of really neat, Christian things happening there. A lot of seminaries, Asian seminaries are based in Singapore, um, but it's surrounded by communism and, and, and Islam and everything, uh, persecuted church all over the place, around, everywhere around, but then there's this little, almost like an island, an, an oasis of Christianity in Singapore, so we're encouraged to be able to go there and, and hopefully to be a blessing and encouragement to the to the body of Christ there, the believers there. So we really appreciate your prayers for safe travels and, and just good health and, and uh, then just again power um, and and uh, productivity as we as we teach the word. So uh, and looking forward to coming back and having some fun stories to share of what the Lord um, does through us because we always feel like a just when we travel we're just an extension of this church and uh, we 're just an extension of of you, and uh, so we we as a church uh, have a chance to really serve another church uh, literally halfway around the world um, uh, this next week and a half. So we appreciate your prayers and, and, and uh, toward that end. Well, I think we all got the sense last Sunday that that was one of the heavier messages uh, that we 've had in, in in recent months and and um, I mean, the Gospel of John is just in your face. I mean, it's, it's really uh, challenging. And so I'm sure you sensed um, how I f- sensed this, um, this gravitas last week of, of, of being a fragrance of life to life and death to death. And uh, because it was such a serious uh, subject about, you know, Judas selling out Jesus and then what are the implications for that for our lives? That that he was a, a tear among the wheat, and and if there was one among the disciples, surely there's 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 tears among Lakeside Bible Church, and and we need to examine our lives to make sure we're in the faith, and and, and it was a really it was time to really do some introspection, and I know we all kind of left in some sense kind of heavy hearted, really wanting to be sobered. You know, we were sobered by what we heard, and and uh, one of the one of our dear elders, wives. Uh, made a beeline uh, up to me after uh, the, the service last week and said, Ken, a perfect follow-up message to that would be uh, that message you preached a number of years ago on how you can be sure you're a Christian. And uh, I haven't been able to get that out of my mind this week and, and she was exactly right that I felt like, you know, what what better way to come back uh, and in and, and, and some ways kind of provide some ointment or a balm, of, if you will, to an open wound, right? You, you think, man, that was a hard-hitting message, and, 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 and to come back and say, hey, now let me help you with this, right? Instead of just saying, hey, you may not be saved, have a great week, you know? <laughs> but, but to come back and say, hey, let's talk about this, and, and let's see what the Bible says about how you can be sure that you don't have to live, uh, you know, not sure. Uh, you can know for sure. And, and the Bible has a lot to say about the assurance of salvation. And I just want to say this up front, that, that whenever I preach a message like last Sunday, my it is never my intent to get anybody to doubt their salvation. That's not what I'm about. I don't think that's what the Bible's about, getting people to doubt their salvation. The Bible is all about helping people be absolutely sure of their salvation. That's my heart. I want you to be absolutely convinced that you're saved um, so that you can enjoy uh, the christian life the way god intended not just like ah oh, kind of i hope i hope i'm a christian i hope i make it you know you got your fingers crossed you're hoping for the best that is not the way god intended for us to live the christian lives. he he he, he intended us to live with great confidence and great hope and anticipation and expectation and um, and, and and somewhere the assurance of salvation has gotten lost uh, in the church, because uh, obviously we know there's some churches that that will tell you you can't know for sure. In fact, you can actually lose your salvation, right? So you can never be sure, and so you're always, you know, good day, bad day, right? And and uh, I'm going to heaven today, but I'm not going to heaven. I'm going to hell tomorrow, or you know, this day. Or, you know, I mean, I mean, that's miserable. That's that's no way God intended us to live. But but I think that that uh, we, we just need to come to grips with this whole idea of of assurance. I've I've told people, I've asked them, "Hey, do you know for sure you're going to heaven when you die?" And they're like, "Well, no." And uh, how how is that possible? None of us can know that. And I'm like, "Well, I know. I know for sure I'm going to heaven." And it's not because I'm a great guy, you know, and I'm a pastor, and that's not why. What my hope is in, my hope is in Christ and the promises of God's word. And and they look at me kind of strange like, "Man, you're arrogant. You're you're presumptuous, you know, to think that you can know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die." Well, I mean, I've done what the Bible said, right? So why wouldn't I believe what the Bible says, right? Um, God said it, I believe it. And so um, I think we need to understand that that God wants us to know for sure. In fact, 1 John 5, verse 13, a familiar (laughs) verse, I'm sure, to most of you. John said this, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, what? Mm -hmm. Know... That you have eternal life. And so I want to talk to you, talk to you t- this morning about that. H- how can you know for sure that you're a Christian? And uh, hopefully this will be a good follow-up from last, last Sunday's message. And, and if you left wondering, doubting, questioning, you know, I- I'm going to give you a way that you can know one way or the other for sure, okay? Um, how many of you guys have heard of the Great Awakening? Okay, a number of you, I'm sure. This is uh, the Great Awakening was the greatest revival in American history. It occurred back in the 1700s um, in the Eastern colonies. Uh, the primary tool that God used to bring revival was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards, and through his preaching uh, of sermons, like the greatest sermon ever preached on American soil, they say is what "sinners in the hands of an angry God," right? Uh, sermons like that, God used him to, to lead many, uh, many to, to Christ. However, uh, it didn't take long to realize that some of those who professed faith in Christ weren't truly saved. Even though they claimed to have had some kind of moving experience, they maybe wept when they heard Jonathan Edwards preach, or they had some emotional uh, uh, experience. Uh, they 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 uh, went forward. They prayed a prayer. They signed a card. Who knows what they were doing back then, right? Uh, their lives lacked any evidence that they were saved, and so critics took hold of this and they began to attack the Great Awakening as nothing than this big emotional scam. And uh, didn't produce any true conversions at all. And so Edwards wasn't about to let them criticize what he believed was a legitimate work of God. And so he wrote what became one of his most popular books. It's called A Treatise Concerning Religious Affections. A treatise concerning religious affections. And in this book, he explained the distinguishing marks of a true, uh, of a true believer or, or, or the marks of true conversion. And at the same time, he exposed false conversion. Just kind of laid it out. So this is what this is this is the evidence uh, uh, of, uh, of true conversion. This is the evidence of false conversion. And, and he came to this simple conclusion that the ultimate proof of true conversion is what he called holy affections, a treatise concerning religious affections, holy affections, and what he meant by that was that a person who is truly saved will have a genuine longing after God and a genuine longing for personal holiness. And so Edwards had become convinced through his study of God's word that true conversion always produces a change in the life of a convert, and so consequently, if a person's life never changes after they got saved, um, or or after they get saved, the evidence is that they they never did get saved. Um, Edwards believed that the only way a person could be absolutely sure that they were saved uh, is the presence of holy longings or affections, again, which are produced not by the person, but are produced by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Listen to what he said about assurance. He said, assurance is never to be enjoyed on the basis of a past experience. There is need of the present and continuing work of the Holy Spirit in giving assurance. In other words, what he was saying was a person's true spiritual condition is not determined by some emotional experience that they had sometime in the past, but rather their present pursuit of holiness. And I I get this because I was that guy Uh, for many years as a young person growing up in the church I was blessed to have been born and raised in a Christian home there was never a time that I didn't know I was a sinner and didn't know Jesus died on the cross and that we needed to to commit our lives to follow and obey him and and the first time I can remember praying uh, to receive Jesus Christ into my heart was at a a backyard Bible club when I was seven years old and and I remember the lady gave the lesson she said anybody wants to stay after and you know you can pray to receive Jesus in your heart you stay and talk to me so I was over there, well, the only problem was she had dismissed all the other kids, and they were over, the, over there eating all the punch and cookies, and I was, you know, chubby little fellow back then, and I was, didn't want to miss out on my share of punch and cookies, and so literally, I, she was leading me in the sinner's prayer, and I was praying along with her the whole time I was peeking to make sure there was punch and cookies left, so, you know, that, that was my start, and as I grew older, uh, there were many other times that I prayed the prayer, Um, because I wanted to make sure I was a Christian. And so even though I had parents who were strong Christians, even though I got, uh, you know, I I went to church all the time, I never got into any really bad stuff as a kid, and um, even though I I understood what it meant to be a Christian, I, I, I was always doubting my salvation. I was never sure I was saved. And I would hear a message like, the one we heard last week, and I would go to camp, or uh, I'd get convicted about the way I was living, and, and I'd wonder whether I was really saved or not after all, and so during these times of inter- introspection, I would, I would try to think back, this is where my mind would go, I would immediately begin to think back to that backyard, that lady's backyard, and me praying, and peeking in and wondering, okay, was that legit? Was that, did I really mean that? Did I pray the right prayer? Is there a right prayer? And then I started going through all the other times I had prayed a prayer through a stick in the fire, did whatever at camp, and, and I started trying to evaluate, well, well, what if I didn't pray the right prayer? Um, what if I didn't really mean it? And so instead of becoming more convinced of my salvation, I, I only got more confused And the real issue in my mind was how can I know for sure that I'm a Christian? I mean, what proof can I have? And I was trying to come up with that proof by analyzing my past and looking at past moments, emotional moments, experiences. And the reason why I never found that assurance is because I was looking for it in the wrong place. I was looking for it in the past rather than in the present. And what I didn't realize at the time is that the Bible never encourages us to look back at some past experience to verify whether or not we're a true Christian. The Bible challenges us to look for assurance of our salvation in the present, specifically in the present pattern of our life. Now, when we talk about assurance, um, the Bible really um, presents two grounds of assurance of salvation. Okay? There's objective grounds and there's subjective grounds. Okay? So objective grounds are, are basically uh, all the promises in the Bible that those who repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. Okay, it's very black and white, very objective. We've been seeing that uh, in the Gospel of John. For example, John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, to, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So what do you have to do to become a child of God? You receive him, receive Christ. Um, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. So what do you have to do to not perish but have eternal life? Believe in, in, in Jesus. Um, Paul says things like this in, in Romans. Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, what do you have to do to be saved? Well, you need to confess Jesus as your Lord, and you need to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. He goes on to say, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You call out to him, you cry out to God for mercy, uh, be merciful to me, a sinner, right? Like the, like the publican, uh, the tax collector, Lord, be merciful. He beat his breast, you call out to the Lord for mercy, and he will save you. And so, those are promises in the scriptures, that if you do this, you will be saved. Um, repent and believe, right? You'll be saved. And so if, if you've done that, if you've repented of your sin and you have trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, in other words, His work on, on the cross is the only way that you can be made right with God, then guess what? The Bible says you are saved, Um so all the promises in God's word regarding salvation really form the foundation uh, on which our assurance is built. Um, somebody asked me, hey, if you were to stand before God um, and he said, why should I let you into heaven, what would you tell him? I'd say, well, number one, he shouldn't let me in heaven. I don't deserve to be in heaven. But the reason why he should let me into heaven is because I've done exactly what he said to do to be saved. He said in his word, repent, and believe, and you'll be saved. So I'm trusting, I'm taking him at his word. Um, I've done what the Bible said is the, the, the what, what is the response he's looking for, if you will, right? From his sinful creatures who have rebelled against him. He's looking for us to repent and he's looking for us to place our faith in Christ alone. So that's that's very objective, very black and white. God said it, we believe it, you did it, I'm saved. Right? Now, there's another grounds of assurance, and that's what we could call subjective, subjective grounds. Um, and I think we can also be assured of our salvation by recognizing the, the, the changes that God ha- has brought about or is bringing about in our lives. In other words, we can look at the, the pattern of our lives today, the words, the actions, the attitudes, the desires, the habits, the friends, and to see if our lives match up with what the Bible says a Christian's life should look like. And this is what was very helpful. I, I'll never forget my mom when she was helping me think through this, this issue of assurance. And, and she actually said, and she had never read you know, Jonathan Edwards' treatise of religious affections and you know, <laughs> never went to Bible college, never went to seminary, and she just said, Ken, stop basing your salvation on something you said seven years ago or a prayer you prayed back. Look at your life right now and see if there's enough fruit to, to, that would give you evidence that you're saved. And I'm like Duh. I never thought about that, you know? Um, and it was very insightful, and, and that's what she was, she was emphasizing at that point because she knew I knew the promises of Scripture um, and that I had done what the, the Word said to do, but it was this subjective aspect that I was not thinking about and this was very, very helpful. And so when you combine these two, right, the, the objective grounds and the subjective grounds, are the assurance of salvation is based on, number one, the promises of God about salvation, as well as on the changes in our lives that the Bible says will be the result of salvation. Somebody who's written a lot about this subject and, and uh, has written a very helpful book called Saved Without a Doubt Uh, is John MacArthur, and this is what he says. He says, most contemporary discussions on assurance focus almost exclusively on the objective grounds of assurance. In other words, you believe in Jesus, then you're saved, right? The Bible says, if you believe, you'll be saved. He says, they minimize or dismiss the subjective grounds, thus robbing untold number of believers of a valuable source of assurance. Worse yet, in doing so, they perpetuate the tragic phenomenon of false assurance. And I think we have to ask ourselves, well, why would people minimize or dismiss the subjective grounds for assurance? If, it, if, it, if, it, if it's helping people, right? If it's a valuable source of assurance, why would they do that? Well, I would submit to you that it's because people are, are concerned not to be perceived as adding anything to the gospel. You know, we don't want to be uh, sounding like we're we're saying you have to do certain things in order to be saved, right? That we don't want to add to the simplicity and purity of the gospel, that it's simply a repent and believe message and anything beyond that is adding to the gospel and then you have a works-based salvation, right? And so we just, let's not even talk about that stuff. All we're gonna talk about is you gotta believe in Jesus and you're good, right? Well, unfortunately, that's created an extreme, two, two really, two ex- tragic extremes, I think, in the church today, okay? Um, the first extreme uh, is, is that there are those who doubt their salvation who shouldn't. And the other extreme is there are those who don't doubt their salvation who should. That, those are the two extremes, okay? You got people running around thinking they're not saved when they are, and then you got other people who are running around thinking they're saved when they're not. Let's talk about that first group for a second, okay? There, there are many true believers who lack assurance of their salvation. They lack the confidence that their sins are forgiven and their place in heaven is eternally secure. And as a result, they, they never truly enjoy the reality of their salvation. They live in constant fear and doubt and anxiety and, and, and depression. And, and that may describe you. Um, you, you, you struggle with doubts whether or not you're truly saved. You find yourself continually preoccupied with your, with your sins and your failings, and you always seem to be vacillating back and forth in your faith, and you worry and you wonder whether or not you're going to go to heaven when you die. And, and I personally love talking to people like that. And I've had my share of opportunities where people will come and say, hey, Pastor, I need, can we set up a meeting? And, and I'm looking forward to this because I, I think this is a this is really neat Christian. I'm really excited to see what we're going to talk about. And they come in, they sit down, and they go, Pastor, I don't think I'm saved. I, I'm, I'm really you know, questioning my salvation. I, I, I lack assurance of, you know, and, and, and I'm like, really, how come? And they begin to describe to me what I would perceive as the normal, natural, Battle with sin in a believer's life based on Romans 7, Paul saying, I do the things I don't wanna do and, you know, and how frustrating it is to continue to deal with sin in your life and, and, and no temptations overtaking them but that was just coming to me. I'm thinking, and I'm the whole time I'm, I'm trying not to say you know, what I'm thinking and what I'm thinking is, listen, if you're not saved, then I'm not saved because you're describing my life. That's my struggle, I get that. I, I'm, I've been there, done that. I, I, I can totally relate to what you're talking about. But it doesn't make me doubt my salvation because I, I, I hopefully have a, a good, healthy understanding of the sanctification process, which is a bumpy ride, right? It's not all straight up like this, right? It's more like you go up and you kind of go, sometimes you go down you go up. But the whole thing is like a ski lift, right? You're, you're finally, you're going to go from here to here. It's not like you end up down here, right? You might go up and down in a ski lift, right? Go down into dips and the canyons, but ultimately you make it from here to here. But it is an up and down ride, and so, uh, you know, I, I just I, I want to encourage them to listen. I just want you to know, uh, you know, the Bible says if you've done these things, you're saved. If you've done these things, yes, sir, well, then you're saved. But I also want you to know from a subjective perspective, I see lots of fruit in your life. I see lots of evidences of grace in your life that encourage me that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In fact, the, 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 the very fact that you're sitting here in my office um, Talking to me about the assurance of salvation is evidence that you're saved. I'm concerned about the person out there that, that would, never even, it would never even cross his mind to go talk to the pastor about whether or not he's saved. But the fact that you're here talking about you're concerned about it, tells me that the Spirit of God is working in you. And so, in some ways, you know, lighten up on yourself. <laughs> Relax. E- enjoy uh, what God is, is doing in your life. That's one extreme. The other extreme would be those people within the church who have a false sense of security in their salvation. They've never once questioned whether or not they've been truly born again. Why? Because they've come to church, you know, forever. They come every week, they sing in the choir, they make their share of charitable contributions. They, they don't do anything that bad. They're just like really nice people. Um, and so they're, they're secure in their religious routine, and they fully expect to go to heaven when they die. Maybe that describes you this morning, and apparently you've got a lot of company, um, hopefully not at this church, but in the church at large, or at least in our country, the, a recent survey that um, George Barna did, uh, he, he discovered that 99% of people in America think they're going to heaven. 99% of people in America think they're going to heaven. And we're like, oh, come on. That's ridiculous. We know that's not true. Well... We're not saying that they're going to go to heaven, but they're thinking they're going to go to heaven, right? Well, that might be an accurate figure in light of what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 22. He said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles and we did this and this and this and this and this and I was this and this and this and this and I didn't do this and this and this, this. Then I will declare to them, I never, what? Knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So Jesus said there's gonna be a lot of people thinking they're going to heaven and it's almost like they get to the door of heaven and they find it barred. And um, as John Bunyan said in his um, classic, An Allegory of the Christian Life, Pilgrim's Progress, that there is a, there is a pathway to hell from the gate to heaven. There's a pathway to hell from the gate of heaven. In other words, you get to the gate of heaven and you go down the chute. (laughs) Remember chutes and ladders? Right? That's a very vivid analogy. So the frightening reality is that many who claim to be Christians, who assume they're going to go to heaven, will be shocked. That's the idea here. They're going to be shocked. Like, what are you talking about? I, I didn't do anything that bad. I was better than my neighbor, right? Well, what are you doing with him, right? You say, well, okay, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that, a part of that many. That scares me, and it should scare all of us, right? How can I know for sure that I'm not one of those self-deceived individuals? Well, Jesus gave us the answer right before he said that. In, in Matthew 7, 20, he said, you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits, and And so throughout God's word, we're challenged to examine the fruit in our lives to see whether or not there's enough evidence to prove that we're truly saved. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been, thought of it this way, but if you were put on trial today for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I mean, if, 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 the, if the judge called in the witnesses, your spouse, your children, uh, your co-workers, your neighbors, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, and, and they said, hey, tell, tell us about this person. Would there be enough evidence, right, to convict you that you are a Christian? And so the point is, if we see the kind of fruit, we're not talking about kiwis and apples and bananas and oranges, we're talking about actions, attitudes, words, Okay, if we see the kind of fruit that the Bible says should be present in a Christian's life, then we can be certain, based on subjective grounds of assurance, right, that we are a genuine believer. Let me give you an example. Look at 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1, we have one of the many lists in the scriptures of of qualities or attributes that should be present and increasing in the life of every believer. 2 Peter 1, verse 5 Peter's writing to Christians here and he's challenging them to grow Um, but he's also, he's challenging them here to examine their lives to make sure they're truly saved. He says, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, apply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control and in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness and in your godliness, brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness, love, now check this out, verse eight, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord, and Je- Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Don't think about that too long. Your brain will blow up. Because the question is, how do I know I'm chosen by God? How do I know one of, I'm one of God's elect? It's the big question mark, the big mystery. How do I know I'm one of God's elect? It's impossible for us to know, really? He says, make certain about his calling and choosing you. You can know that you're one of God's elect, i.e., you're saved, right? If these things are present in your life and, and they're increasing. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse five, I think a, a verse that every Christian should have Underline in their Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verse 5, he says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? I mean, uh, Paul was like in the Corinthians' face here, and he says, hey guys, I mean, you need to test yourselves to see if you're truly saved. Examine yourselves. I mean, do you not recognize that, that, that Christ is in you, right? Well, how do you know? You've got to test yourself. You've got to examine yourself and, 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 and see if you pass or fail. That's what he's saying. So you say, okay, um, I want to be obedient to Scripture. Paul says to examine myself. I'm supposed to take some tests to see if I pass or fail. Where is that test uh, what, what is that test, where is that test, how much does that test cost, is this like an SAT or something I gotta go sign up for, I can study for, you know, and, 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 and I'm gonna get graded on it, and no, it's, it's none of that stuff, okay? God has supplied all of us with a spirit-inspired test that we all can take anytime, anywhere in order to examine ourselves and determine whether or not we're truly saved and whether or not we will inherit eternal life in heaven someday, Anybody know what I'm talking about? I already read the theme verse from it. 1 John 5.13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. Talking about the book of 1 John. And, And the overarching theme of this little letter is the assurance of salvation. I mean, you could title the book of John, the book of 1 John, Sure Salvation. John wants people to be sure. He doesn't want. He's not trying to create doubts in people's minds. He's trying to remove doubt, and he's trying to create confidence and, and surety. And so, John's primary purpose here was to help believers know for sure that they were truly saved. He was building, and this is interesting. I think he was building on the foundation that he had already laid in the Gospel of John. And we're studying the Gospel of John right now, so this is all fresh on our minds, but we know that John wrote his Gospel so that unbelievers would believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, right? We've been looking at this over and over again. John chapter 20, verse 31. But these things I have written to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, he wrote, 1 John, to believers so that they would know for sure that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. In his gospel, he he explained the words and actions that prove that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, the Son of God, so that people would believe in him. In 1 John, he explains the words and actions that prove that someone is a true believer so they'll know for sure that they have eternal life. And the word the operative word here in, in 1 John is "no." The word know. It's used 40 times, not just in 1 John, but 1, 2, and 3 John combined a total of close to 40 times. And it appears in a couple forms. The word oida in the Greek, which means to know absolutely, without question, without doubt, to be, to be, to be absolutely sure about something. That's the word oida. And then gnosko is, the, is, is knowledge by experience. In other words, you know because you've gone through it. You've experienced it. And so John's point is that if, if, it is, if, if his readers experience in their lives the things he's describing in these five chapters, then they can know for sure that they're truly saved. Now, could he just sit down one day at his desk and say, I'm going to write a book about assurance of salvation? Uh, I don't think so. He, he was addressing a problem, an issue like most of the writers of Scripture were, and, and I think the issue was here, as we kind of piece together the history, the context, historical context, was that there were some false teachers claiming to have new insights into the personal work of Jesus Christ that were different or contradicted what the apostles had been teaching. And one of the main groups in those days that threatened the early church was the Gnostics who claimed to have this higher, truer knowledge of God. And, and so um, basically what happens when you're in a church and all of a sudden you gain some greater insight that no one else has figured out yet, not even the pastor, uh, what do you do? See ya. How can I be in a church where I'm smarter than the pastor? Right? I need to go start my own church, right? And, and so I can teach this, this insight that I've gleaned from the scriptures and, and I'm really the only one who knows it and, and so you're not the true church anymore. We're the true church and we're leaving you guys in our dust and we're gonna go off and be the true church. And, uh, and so there was a spirit of elitism, I think, that, 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 that was going on that led them to form their own church, which, which, which they claim to be the new improved version of Christianity. Interesting, when you read 1 John 2.19 in light of this, it says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. Some people were leaving the church. And, and, and John was saying, hey, why is that? You, you need an explanation of why people are leaving the church. Now, please don't take this as a, you know across-the-board application for anybody that ever leaves our church or another church that somehow, you know, you know they left us because they were never one of us. And basically what he's saying, they're not believers, right? And listen, there's been a lot of very godly people, uh, very sincere believers who have left our church over the years for good legitimate reasons, and they've had our blessing. And we don't sit there and say, well, you were never one of us anyway because you need to be a part of this church until the day you die. And, you know, here's your Kool-Aid, drink it quick, you know. I mean, no, we, 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 that's not what we're trying to do here. But the, the point is that there was something happening here. And so naturally, listen, those who stayed behind in the true church felt discouraged and confused. And they were questioning whether or not, well, well maybe they're right. Maybe we're not saved. Maybe they are saved. Maybe we're not. How, how do we know we're on the right track? Or maybe we're the ones, maybe, maybe the ones who left we're right after all. Doesn't that happen sometimes when people leave a church? And they're like, well, why did they leave? Well, because they, this. well, I wonder if that's right. Is that true? Is that, you know, and you start to wonder and question, how, how can I be sure that I'm, I'm truly a child of God? And, and I had, a, <laughs> I had a, a funny friend back in the day, a Christian guy, and whenever he'd walk into a church, you know, he'd walk down the center aisle, and before he sat down, he would do this, and then he'd go sit down, and he'd lean over, and he goes, just in case they're right. <laughs> like you're a knucklehead man he was just being funny but but that's how some of us live our lives right well i mean just in case they're right what if what if they're right what if we're wrong so what did these people that john was writing to need more than anything else they needed some reassurance they needed some reassurance And so to these sorts of questions, John responded with a series of of practical tests here by which they could know for sure that they were truly saved and on their way to heaven. And so I think John's tests here in this book uh, really serve a dual purpose. They're not just designed to convince doubting believers that they're truly saved, but they're also intended to convince deceived unbelievers that they're not truly saved. And, and, and why do I say that? Because throughout the letter, you see a contrast that he makes. He addresses two groups of people. He talks about you, and he talks about they. He talks about children of God. He talks about children of the devil. So something was going on where there was a, there was a division going on. And I, and I would say this, that the, these two groups are alive and well in the church today, aren't they? Well, what I want to do with you is, is this morning, just briefly with a few more minutes, is, is give you a test, okay? I want you to take a test this morning. You're like, oh shoot, I didn't know. You're supposed to tell us about a test. Pop quiz, this is a pop quiz, right? Um, hopefully you grabbed a copy of the quiz, copy of the test when you walked in the back. If you didn't... This would be a great time to jump up and go get a copy and your number two pencil, okay? I'm just kidding. Um, But seriously, I want to encourage all of you to take this test. You're like, I'm not taking it. It's too scary. I don't want to know the answers. Uh, But encourage you to get one of these things and and go through this. And just so you know, I've lost track of how many times I've passed out this little half sheet of paper uh, to somebody uh, who's come by to to talk about their (laughs) spiritual life, and I've said, go home and read the book of 1 John. And, and, and this week and use this as a little supplement and kind of just, just test yourself and be honest. Be brutally honest with yourself, true or false, right? And, and, and see uh, how you do. See if you pass the test. So basically what I've done here is I've, I, I've, um, I've, I've, t- I've, I've worded this test in the form of a true or false, right? True or false questions that we all need to ask ourselves in order to determine whether or not we're true or false Christians, okay? True or false questions, to determine whether or not we're true or false Christians. Now, again, before you take this test, you're, look, you're already doing it. Okay, stop. Put your pencils down. Wait for the, me to say go. Right. Um, let me give a, a, a huge disclaimer. Please look up and listen. Don't miss this, okay? These 12 things are not things you need to do in order to be saved, these are things that will be true of you if you are saved. You get that distinction? Very helpful distinction, okay? So let's do this, okay? Let's take this test one at a time and I'm just gonna ask you the question and I'm gonna read a couple of the verses that are written down there to so see this is coming straight out of First John and uh, just kind of summarizing uh, the things he was challenging his readers with and really ultimately wanting to encourage his readers with um, and so number one, you ready? Do you enjoy fellowship with God Jesus Christ and other Christians. Do you enjoy fellowship with God, Jesus Christ and other Christians? Notice verse chapter one, verse three. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The point is, do you have fellowship with God? Do you enjoy a relationship with God? Do you, do you enjoy spending time with God in His word and in prayer? Do you enjoy spending time with Jesus Christ? Did you enjoy sweet communion with Christ this morning as we took the elements? Was there, uh, were you relating to Christ? Were you talking to Christ? Were you thanking Christ? Were, were, was there a, a sweet relationship there with Jesus Christ? How about do you enjoy fellowship, uh, sharing in common with other Christians? Or do you come to church and think, I don't have anything in common with these people. That's scary. If you, if you don't have anything in common with anybody else in this room, and I'm not talking about social status and what you do for a living and, you know, your hobbies. I'm talking about Christ, right? If, if you don't have Christ in common, then, then you're going to have to probably check false on this one, right? The point is, do you, do you, if you had a choice, uh, you know, hanging out with Christians or non-Christians, who would you pick, right? I mean, do you enjoy being around your unsaved buddies at work? More than you enjoy being around the guys in your small group, you know, on Sunday nights, right? You've got to ask yourself, well, who you you enjoying fellowship with? So do you enjoy fellowship with God, Jesus Christ, and other Christians? Check it off, true or false. Don't do it in the middle, okay? I asked my daughter, Hannah, afterwards, I said, hey, how'd you do, baby? Did you pass the test or did you fail the test? She said, well, Daddy, I, I think I did pretty good, but there was a couple of them I wasn't sure, so I just kind of, you know... I said, did you check the box in the middle? Oh, she said, could I do that? I said, no, you can not do that. <laughs> so no, you just, just you, come on, decide, make a decision here, true or false. Secondly, are you sensitive to sin in your life? Are you sensitive to sin in your life? Notice verse eight of chapter one. If we say we have no sin... We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Listen, one of the marks of a true Christian is they're sensitive to their sin. In other words, they, they, they don't walk around going, I don't really struggle with sin. Um, more than that, they actually see their sin. They're, they're they, they, they recognize it. They know what they struggle with. Um, I had a conversation recently and somebody walked in my office and said, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Boom, 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 boom. I need your help. I'm like, evidence you're saved right there. I don't care that you're struggling with sin. The fact that you recognize it and you want help with it tells me you're a Christian because you're sensitive. I didn't have to sit in there and go, now, do you realize that you're doing this, 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 and this? No, they told me exactly what they were doing and they were right. I'm like, praise God. That's an evidence of God's grace in your life. He's revealing your sin. You see your log in your eye, right? Um, it's blinding you, right? But you're not blinded to your sin. That's always scary to me when I meet somebody who's blind to their sin. They don't even see it. I'm like, whoa, are you serious? I mean, do you have this spirit of God in you? Because if if he was, he'd surely be pointing this out to you. Um, one of our elders, man, I get a kick out of him. He's he's uh, always wanting to 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 get down deep in 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 other guys' lives, and and uh, so he'll just. He'll just uh, invite a guy out to breakfast, and they're eating bacon and eggs, and he says, so what sins are you struggling with? They'll just come around and say it. And, and if the guy kind of looks up and goes, hmm, let me see. I have to think about that. He's like, dude, you want to know what my sin is? Let me tell you. Boom, 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 right? I mean, listen, we should, I mean, we're dealing with it. We're struggling with sin all the time. It should be right out here. I'll tell you what I'm struggling with is this, 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 and this, Right? I mean, and we're open and honest. Why? Because we're sensitive to sin in our life. Check it off, true or false. Number three, do you consistently strive to obey God's word? Do you consistently strive to obey God's word? Notice I didn't say, do you consistently obey or always obey God's word, but do you consistently strive to obey God's word? Notice chapter two, verse three. I love this. By this, we know that we've come to know him. You wanna know if you've come to know Christ? If we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, I'm a Christian, I've come to know him, I know the Lord, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we're in him, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. In other words, you're striving to be more like Jesus. You're striving to obey God's word. And notice chapter five, verse two. By this we know, we love God that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. And here it is, check it out. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. If it is a pain in the neck for you to come to church on Sunday mornings, if it's a pain in the neck for you to read your Bible, pain in the neck to pray, pain in the, pain in the neck to share the gospel with people, I mean, seriously? I mean, that, that's, you know, the commands of God are, are a joy, are a blessing We wish we had more time for these kinds of things, right? Um, They're not a burden. It's like, oh man, I got all this list of rules. I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. This is dumb, right? Seriously? I mean, this a burden to you that you can't do certain things, that you can give up your freedoms for, for the glory of God? I mean, so check it off. True or false, do you consistently strive to obey God's word? Number four, do you hate the world and its ways? Do you hate the world and its ways? We all know uh, 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. Why? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, you can't love God and the world at the same time. And so ask yourself, I mean, do you, do you hate the world and its ways? Or do you love the world and all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life? It's not from the Father, it's from the world. So, Ask yourself, I mean, we all struggle with, right? The world, the flesh, the devil, it's all around us. And, 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 and do you just look around and go, man, I just love this place, man. I'm, I'm, I'm just going for it. I'm going to get everything I can out of this place. Or are you like, you know what? I really hate this place. I can't wait to get out of this place. And, and you get the sense I'm an alien and stranger. This is not my home. Um, check it off true or false? Number five, do you long for the return of Jesus Christ and to be made like him? Do you long for the return of Jesus Christ and to be made like him? Chapter three, verse two. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. What is John saying? That a a true believer, a true Christian, can't wait for jesus to come back and get him why because then he'll finally stop sinning right and he can be like jesus and so there's this anticipation there's this longing for the return of christ to be made like christ to be done with this sinful flesh who will deliver me from this body of flesh right paul said praise be to jesus christ Number six, do you see a decreasing frequency of sin in your life? Do you see a decreasing frequency of sin in your life? We've talked about this a number of times, but let me just remind you of 1 John 3, verse 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, and for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil, No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Again, the word there is practice, which simply means to do something over and over and over again. And so the question is, are there things in your life, sins that maybe you committed all the time, over and over again, before you were saved, that now you see, thankfully, uh, tapering off, right? I mean, some sins, praise God, just go away immediately, right? I mean, you used to struggle with this and you don't even struggle with it anymore, praise God. I mean, you got saved and something changed, right? But then there's some sinful patterns that kind of hang on, don't they? And hopefully the, the key is that there's a decreasing frequency. In other words, it's happening less and less. It's not the habit of your life, Um, So check it off. true or false, do you see a decreasing frequency of sin in your life? Are you sinning less than you used to, I guess is the the point there. Number seven, do you sacrificially love other Christians? Do you sacrificially love other Christians? Um, A lot of verses here about that. How about chapter four, verse seven? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Really simple. Do you love other Christians I mean really love other Christians love them enough to sacrifice Um, if you don't it says you don't know God because God is love what did Jesus say to the disciples they will know you are Christians by your love they will know you're Christians how do you know you're a Christian by your love for one another right so check it out do you sacrificially love other Christians number eight do you experience answered prayer Do you experience answered prayer? Chapter 5, verse 14, this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request with which we've asked from him. So do you experience answered prayer? Have you ever experienced answered prayer in your life? Because John says, hey, you know, you have confidence that when you go to the Lord, you ask him, you share your crest with him, and, and, and if it's what he wants, right, for your life, then it's gonna happen. So hopefully you have some evidences, some experiences where God has answered, clearly answered prayer in your life. Check it off, true or false. Number nine, do you experience the presence of the Holy Spirit? Do you experience the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, in your life? We know that, that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved, right? So the Spirit bears witness with our spirit, right, that we are saved. So are there evidences that this, the Spirit of God is present in you, chapter three, verse 24. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and he in them, He in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Chapter four, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and that he is in us because he has given us of His spirit. So do you experience the presence of the Holy Spirit? You say, "Well, how do I know that? Well, go to Ephesians 5:18. Right? Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another right, with songs, hymns, spiritual songs, um, uh, submitting to one another in love, um, what else is in there, and also not, cr- not grumbling or complaining, being thankful, just a few right, evidences of the Spirit, how about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? all those things. Those are evidences that you're experiencing the Spirit of God in your life. How about that you can understand the Scriptures, right? You read the Scriptures and it makes sense to you, right? This, you have the Spirit of God in you. He illuminates you so you can understand. If you, if you read and go, man, I have no clue what that says and I have no clue what this knucklehead is saying up there behind the pulpit, it's, it's in one ear and out the other, it's over my head, right? Well, that's evidence that you don't have the Spirit of God in you because the Spirit of God gives you insight and discernment and He illuminates you. Number 10, can you discern between spiritual truth and error. Can you discern between spiritual truth and error? 1 John 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so his point is, listen, if you're a, a true Christian, you're gonna be able to discern, right, between spiritual truth and spirituality, you're not one of those gullible, undiscerning people that just, like, think everybody's wonderful, everything's great, and you flip through all the Christian stations on TV and go, oh, this is one of my favorite guys, and oh, this, this is so cool, they're doing this on this show, and oh, you want $1,000? Sure, I'll write a check for $1,000, and seriously? You believe that stuff? And you, you have to ask yourself, well, who follows false prophets? False believers right, that's who follows false prophets, false believers, Um, because why, true believers are discerning, and they realize, well, that guy's not, what he's saying is not based on the Bible, Um, he's not living the way the Bible says a a pastor or preacher should live, Uh, so they're discerning, so ask yourself, can you discern between spiritual truth and error, true or false, check it off. Number 11, do you believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ? Do you believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ? Chapter 5, verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Really simple. Do you you believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ? Do you you believe everything that we've been studying in the Gospel of John? Uh, Hopefully that's one you can check off, right? Oh, that's easy. Yeah. That's, That's true. And then how about this one? Last Last but not least, have you suffered persecution because of your faith in Christ? Have you suffered persecution because of your faith in Christ? And uh, here's a reference in, John, in 1 John 3 to Cain and Abel. This is uh, 1 John 3 12. Don't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. In other words, Abel got killed. Because he was too spiritual for his brother, right? I don't like you. You're, you're Mr. You know, Goody-two-shoes, if you will, but um, you're righteous and I'm not. And so he, he experienced persecution at the point he got killed for living a righteous life, for doing the right thing. And so the question is, have you experienced that in your life? Do you, have you ever experienced any kind of persecution because you've done the right thing and you've done it because you love Jesus, and you wanted to honor God and honor His Word. Now, persecuted church, right? We we pray for them. I'm not talking about somebody's trying to kill you, you know, fire you from your job, you know, whatever. Um, all the all the horrific things we hear that happens to the persecuted church, but hey, you know what it's like to to get left out, right? To be passed over, um, to be minimized, right? Because oh. There's the oh here here he comes everybody stops talking right to some degree that's persecution right they they know you live a righteous life and so they're kind of keeping you at arm's length you're suffering some kind of persecution because of your faith in Christ true or false Bible says anyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted how'd you do don't tell me okay between you and the Lord this morning. Let me just encourage you, if if these things are true of your life, if they describe you, listen, what was the whole point of this thing? So that you would be absolutely sure that you're saved. John wanted you to walk out of here going, whoopee, I finally know for sure that I'm saved, right? I can put all this worrying and anxiety and fear behind me and just live the Christian life with great joy and hope and expectation, But if you couldn't answer yes to more of these, or true for more of these, then you had to answer false, right? Hey, let's talk. It's not like you're the dunce, you know, oh, you're going to sit over in the corner, you're the dunce, you didn't pass the test, you know? You shouldn't walk out here feeling bad and, oh man, I'm just a loser. Say, hey, 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 teacher, I need some help, hey, hey, uh... Hey, could you tutor me? Could you, could you disciple me? I, I need to, I need to, work. I, I didn't get this. I didn't do really well in this. I, I gotta, I, I gotta grow. I gotta understand some things apparently that I don't understand. And so would you help me, right? Now, hopefully you would come to, to me or one of the elders or one of the other pastors. You would go to the, your parents if you're a child or a young person, um, somebody that's discipling your grow group leader, right? And say, hey, you know, I didn't, I didn't do so hot on that test, And I guess I need some help. Would you mind helping me think through this thing? Um, So don't need to be embarrassed about it, you know, or ashamed about it. Um, Just hopefully it's a wake-up call. What are you gonna do about it, right? And there's hope. There's hope in the gospel. And uh, praise God that that he loves you enough to put you uh, in a church, right, that's gonna challenge you to think through these things so that you can be sure, amen? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you never intended us um, to, to walk walk through this life kind of not sure, kind of hesitant, kind of nervous, um, anxious about the future, anxious about heaven or hell and where we're going to end up. Or thank you for putting the book of First John in the Bible for us so that we could learn to live with, with, with security and with, with joy and with peace and with hope and expectation and and not fear and anxiety. And so, Lord, thank you for the opportunity today just to work through this material together. I pray that you would use it for your purposes in all of our hearts, Lord, that we would uh, be not just absolutely sure that we're saved, but, Lord, it would just cause us to catch on fire and want to help other people know for sure that they're saved and uh, that you would use us um, in one another's lives, even in this church, and, um, and Lord, out in this community, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.